This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name's Anna Hawkin and I'm one of the team here at Parenting for Faith. I have just had my first two hours of official working child-free time uh, without someone else watching my kids, my husband or whoever in the house, them actually at school or nursery. And it was weird and it was glorious, um, but it has happened after 182 days. So my mind is blown right now with the possibilities of uh, what working looks like without small people in the house. So whatever your family situation, whatever your experience of lockdown, um, high fives to everyone all around the country, all around the world. We did it. And um, yeah, let's hope and pray we can have a little bit more normality and routine for us and our kids in the coming weeks and months. But what are we talking about today? We're going to kick off by looking at unwinding in the moment. Unwinding is one of our key tools and it's really easy to be intimidated by it and wonder where to start. So we're just going to demystify that, make it really simple and easy. Um, For our question and answer section, we're going to go to something from our Facebook Live bedtime drinks that we did last week on going back to school. Um, And someone asked a really interesting question about how to help their child manage when they realise that their peers have had a very different experience of lockdown. While we didn't have a lot of communication, um, we all kind of hunkered down and did our own thing, didn't we? Um, But this kid's gone back to school and his peers have been playing loads of uh, video games and computer games and that hasn't been his experience and he's just feeling really left out and rubbish. So, yeah, how do we cope when our experience has been uh, different to other people? And then uh, for our wildcard section, I'm going to be interviewing Jennifer Fellows, who is the assistant pastor at St Paul's Cheltenham, uh, to get some of her wisdom. So let's start off today by looking at unwinding in the moment. Uh, Now, many of you will be familiar with one of our key tools in Parenting for Faith, which is unwinding. Um, The key tools are what you will find all over Parenting for Faith. It's kind of the core and the heart of it. Uh, You'll find them in all of Rachel's books. You'll find them in this podcast. You'll find them on our website. And they're the things that are kind of we want to teach people and equip them with to have in their back pocket so that they can apply it to any situation. Whatever you and your child or teenager come across, you think, ah, I've got something for this. Um, so even if you're not a total expert on self-harm and bullying and bedtimes and everything that your child could possibly face in the world and in life, um, you have got something to refer back to. But anyway, one of these key tools is called unwinding. And at its heart, it's just a way of walking alongside our kids as they develop their understanding of God. Like everyone, we can get a little bit messed up and confused sometimes. As our kids are learning about the world, they hear things from uh, home and from church, from TV and uh, social media and other people in their life. And then they have experiences of life and it's easy to get those things tangled and believe certain things about God or think things about him uh, that just aren't quite right. So it's very simple, very natural, very normal. Uh, But we as parents can help them unwind it and just fix it so that they have a bit more of a balanced um, view of God that's right. So there's loads more on the website. If you want to look at that, uh, go to parentingforfaith.org forward slash unwinding or just click on the key tools um, or the search bar there. But I've been thinking a little bit lately about 
how we actually go about this. When you spot something that's not true, what do we do? Um, I don't know if any of you have done the Parenting for Faith course uh, or explored the key tools for yourself, but my experience is that most people find it quite simple to make the tweaks for uh, the first two sessions or tools, creating windows and framing. Uh, they find them super easy to apply to their life. They get, it's a bit addictive actually, they keep doing it with everything and finding more and more ways they can do them. And then they get to session three or tool three and think, yes, this is really good. This makes sense. Um, but can sometimes feel like there's more to remember or it's a little bit harder to do somehow. So Rachel very helpfully gives um, some different wrong views of God. And I can always remember, you know, there's one that's a bit like Father Christmas and one that's a bit angry and one that's buddy. But I can't really remember what they are and what the signs of them are. And I just realised that I'd been overcomplicating it, that it's actually way simpler than that. And I unwind stuff all the time without even realising. So I just thought I'd share my process and what I do um, and a few examples of when this has come up recently and hope that that helps you find your way and your rhythm of doing it as well. So there are three things that I think I would do. The first one is to notice when something's off. Now this actually, I know that sounds obvious, but if you don't notice it, you can't correct it. And so this is about um, being available and aware and listening to your children when you can and when you're not doing a million other things. Because um, sometimes they will just tell you, they say, oh, I heard this about God or God does this. And you're like, mm. um, but more often than not, it's just a bit of a hmm, not quite sure feeling uh, of in my head or my gut, depending on how you uh, think about these things. Something just doesn't sound or doesn't feel quite right to me. It's often not a big deal. There's no siren. There's no fluorescent heresy flag. Um, and I'm also not looking for these things. So I'm not quizzing my children in depth on deepest, darkest theology and, uh, you know, all the books of the Bible and little verses. I'm not trying to find stuff that's not there, um, but stuff does pop up in the normal and in the everyday. So it's worth um, figuring that out. So then the second thing I do is to pause and ask questions. Now, this is to help them, but it's also to help me. One of the things I'd really have to learn is that I don't need to rush. Nobody explodes if I don't fix their misconception in 30 seconds. Um, it's fine to just pause and think, chat to God and ask him to help me. You can either address it in the moment or much later. It doesn't matter. You don't have to fix it immediately. Often it's easier to do it at the time, but if you're not sure or you're worried about it, feel free to wait until a little bit later. And then the third thing that I do is decide... Um, if that was it, have we sorted it just by asking some questions? Sometimes it's really obvious. You say, hmm, do you really think that about God? And they're like, nah. Um, but sometimes there are some next steps. So we might need to go away and look something up or ask someone else. Um, and often I will check back in with them later. So maybe at bedtime or on a, if it's like a kid I see once a week or something a week later, just to see if that confusion's being cleared up or if it's something that needs a little bit more work. They don't need to be on a 10-step programme. Um, this is just about gently nudging them towards truth. So those are my three things. One, notice when something's off. Two, pause and ask some questions to help me and them understand what's going on. And then three, decide if that was it or if there are some next steps we need to take. So let me just quickly give you a couple of examples of what this has looked like for me recently. Uh, so I was with a kid who kept asking to pray for me, which is amazing. Who doesn't love that? Um, but when he prayed, his prayer 
often included, um, please make, he was praying that I would become more like him, basically. Um, and that took me aback a, a little bit. As I say, I got that feeling of, hmm, that's an interesting thing to pray. I feel like we don't normally pray that. Why is that? Um, so I said to him, why, uh, you know, that's an interesting thing to pray. Why have you been praying that? And he said, because God loves me so much. And so I want you to have that. Um, and I was just able to say, you know what, that's true. But God loves everyone uh, he's made. It's not just you. So you can pray that I would know more of God's love. That's amazing. Um, but you don't necessarily have to pray that I would be more like you. God loves you so much, but you're just a small part of his great plans. And so am I. Um, and one of the things I like to pray is that I'll be more like Jesus. So I'd love it if you could pray that for me. So just giving a different suggestion. I actually thought afterwards I could have maybe referenced the bit where Jesus says, let, you know, let the little children come to me and encourages us to be like them. So maybe he was onto something, but I didn't think of that at the time. And that's fine. I didn't need to go back to it. Second example I was going to throw out uh, was I was with a child who was at the playground. She was jumping off something really high and said, look at me, I'm going to spin around three times, believe in Jesus, and then I can fly. Um, and I thought, hmm, uh, there are some things that have got stuck together there that I'm not sure should be stuck together. Uh, so I, you know, applauded the jump. Wow, great, look at your super cool jump. And then a bit later when we were walking home, I just said, oh, I thought it was interesting what you said before your jump. Do you think you would have been able to do that if you didn't believe in Jesus? Um, and sort of unpicked it a little bit that way uh, and just explained that I love that believing in him is important to you and God can certainly help us do amazing things. But believing in Jesus isn't like a magic spell or setting instructions. It's not something we do as part of a routine that makes things happen. Believing in Jesus is about relationship and it's about loving him and doing things with him and for him. So it's a bit different to uh, thinking you can fly. And that was fun and pretend and make believe anyway. So just separating those things out. So in each of those couple of scenarios, you might have answered totally different to me, and that's great. Often what's not what's significant is not the detail of what it is or isn't said, but it's just that process of chatting about it, asking questions together and finding out more. Uh, so next time you spot something that sounds a bit off, don't panic, pause, ask some questions and figure out together if something's off and how you might help them to get to know God better. This week's question comes from one of our bedtime drinks events, which happens on the 10th Monday of every month. Uh, and this was a parent whose child has had quite an experience of lockdown to his peers and his friends and is struggling with that. Um, so yeah, we'll hear what Rachel had to say. During lockdown, my son's friends have been online a lot, while my son has been playing Lego with his younger brother and sister, bike rides, etc. Isn't that wonderful? That has been something that has been so powerful in lockdown, is enabling some teenagers uh, and tweenagers to, to embrace the, the play. Again, it's been lovely. Uh, he feels like he is less mature now, whilst I am thrilled he has built friendships with his siblings. Yeah, um, played down and not had to worry about all of the teenage pressures. But he is now frustrated and angry and tearful that his friends cannot share in his experience and that they have been allowed to sit on computer games. Help! <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really interesting that um, that he's frustrated, angry, and tearful that his friends can't share in his experience. 
I think that's a great reflective tool. I think there is something about play and that as adults, we love playing. I really enjoyed lockdown. I played so many games and Legos and imaginary games. and It has been a, a real valuing of play. And I think, I think your son has an insight now into the difference of, of experience. And I think you can actually process that together to say, you know, the strengths that you have had of play are actually really significant for your brain. They're significant for your relationships. They're significant for your creativity. And and how do you think your experience would have been different if you were just allowed to be numb or to let you get sucked into the game? And how is your life different from their life? And which one do you think was better for you, for us as a family? The, the positive, it makes me sad that they didn't get that amazing experience that you got. And to sort of process that together, because I think sometimes it looks about permission rather than looking at fruit. And at 14, um, your kid will be able to... Did I, did I make up 14? I think I just made up 14. I made up 14. Um, at however old your kid is, um, they will be able to, at, the, at this age group, to be able to reflect on that experience. And, and that may make him feel lonely, that actually you know, he is stronger in his play muscles than his friends. And he may want them to have that experience, or they may not want to, and that can make you feel lonely. And I get that. And a lot of people around the world face that. Do they give up the playful part of them so that they can play in a way that other people do how do we keep this playful bit alive and how can we coax your other friends into playing and you can have all of those conversations of the benefits of it and the fruit of that and how much you value that and the siblings have valued that and um, his reflection on what kind of friendships he wants and how to draw his friends into play how to how to keep being him because that is so significant uh, that um that he feels confident in his experience of lockdown. Uh, yeah, and so I, I would help him see the value of it and the fruit of it, because this isn't just for now. He'll be 18, he's going to go to uni. If he goes to uni or to, to college to learn a trade or to step out into friendships, and there will always be this question of how do I want to play? How do I want to enjoy and be? And how does it bear the fruit in my life. And to have that conversation now would be a really interesting conversation. It doesn't mean he won't feel alone. That doesn't mean he won't feel that jarring in his friendship. That doesn't mean he won't feel the injustice of I was forced to play and enjoy my family rather than get to play video games. But you can process all of those emotions with him because those are not just about this, it's going to be about life and, uh, and what fruit and who you want to be and who we want to be as a family and what values I have for you and, uh, and what you saw and what you value. And if you were a parent, what you would have chosen, uh, is so interesting to have those adult conversations, uh, those conversations that say, you're, you're a smart kid who has had a really interesting experience and I'd love to hear your insights into it. What do you think? And to allow him to express that, I think would be a really interesting journey. I don't think it's an answer, but I think, I think it could be a really interesting conversation as he tries to figure out that walking forward. For a while, 
wildcard section, I'd love to introduce my great friend, Jennifer Fellows. She's the assistant pastor at St Paul's in Cheltenham and has lots of experience and background in children's ministry and family ministry. So it is not very long until Baby Loss Awareness Week, which is in October. Um, I know this is something that you and I both feel really strongly mm. about. Um, we've both experienced miscarriages. We both found it to be something that people find difficult to talk about, although actually a really common experience. Um, I'd love it if you feel able just to share your process and your um yeah, your emotion of how you deal with something like that with God. I mean, I'm just aware, listening to this podcast, if one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage, pretty much everyone listening, it will have either happened to them or to somebody mm. that you know. Um, so it's not talked about a lot, but it is a really important topic. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's actually, I think, especially in church circles. Yeah. Because um, historically, we've been led by men, and historically, miscarriage has been seen as a women's issue. So it's something that we really don't have a language for or a vocabulary for yet in dealing with churches. I think that's changing. Yeah. But at the moment, we still struggle with it. Um, so for me, I've had... Um, I'm, had recurrent miscarriages over the last two years um, and we still wait on our rainbow baby as it's called mm. but the process of dealing with that with God has been hard mm. and actually with each miscarriage it's looked different because um, with each trauma and each thing we go through in life we deal with it differently each time don't we depending on the season um, honestly depending on the weather I had one <laughs> miscarriage in uh, the middle of winter which is very different to the one I had in summer because the one with summer um, I walked and I prayed and I was angry at God as I went round my local park um, not even angry at God but angry at the circumstance Yeah. Um, so for me and how I've process that um i have i've tried to be really open and honest with people so i work for a church um, and i've been really open and honest with my with my church leader with my vicar um, as i went through it because i've got nothing to be ashamed of and that i've miscarried and so therefore i need to be open with people of what's going on and why um i'm maybe a bit distant or maybe why i'm struggling or why i've had to have time off yeah. Um, so being honest with people um, and building community around you who can support you has been really important. Like me and you talk very openly about it, even mm. just over WhatsApp. And you ask me incredibly blunt questions. <laughs> <laughs> but actually that that's really helpful because we have a relationship where we trust each other and we love each other. So we can do that. And actually having that community is really important. I think also to process it is allowing yourself to be honest with God. Yeah. Um, and honest about how you feel. So often we're taught to say it's fine, it's mm. fine. But actually to allow yourself the space to to be angry and to be sad and to grieve and to pray um, is really important. After my first miscarriage, I went back to work four days later. Um, it was a uh, miscarriage at 11 weeks and I went back four days later. It was like such a stupid decision. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I didn't give myself the time, um, which led to bad consequences a couple of months later as I crashed um, but giving yourself the time to be honest with God um, and also I think um, 
being able to, this sounds really silly, but celebrate with God the life of a baby that you never met is really important. It doesn't sound silly at all. I completely you get understand. It. Yeah, and I think, um, actually think it was Rachel. Sorry if I'm misquoting you here, Rach, but... Um, someone gave me the advice to name the babies yes. that had been lost and to consider it it's not just a sad or difficult thing that had happened but it was a life that mm-hmm. you didn't get to know and so it is it is genuinely grief it's a very specific mm. form of grief but it is grief and I thought that was such odd advice at the time um but did it obviously with my husband and it's really helped the processing and the remembering yeah and um also, so we when we find out we're pregnant, we start a journal for our babies because mm. we want to sell. I don't want to get to heaven and meet my babies and tell them that I was never excited about them because I was waiting for the scan. Yeah. I want to get to them and be like, I loved you from like the moment I saw. Actually, I started throwing up before I get <laughs> From the, from the very from first, the first it doesn't say that in the Bible, no. but I, that's nice. But genuinely, from the very first time I threw up, yeah. I threw up. Um, I want to love them deeply. Um, so we, I prophesy over the babies from the moment I see the positive pregnancy test, because I know that's the life that God desired for them. Mm. And it's not God's plan that they were taken from me that soon. That's, that's my theology on it. I know there's different theologies on it. Um, <clears throat> but I believe that that was not God's plan that they were taken. Mm. at 11 weeks I believe that God's plan was for them to be worship leaders was for God's plan for them to change the world um, was God's plan for them to have various different things in their life and actually celebrating that is really exciting and saying okay God so where's the redemption from that mm. that's what was stolen and that was not your plan so I want to see the redemption Yeah, and that's really that's an exciting prayer to pray but not one you can pray straight away yeah and you, there's no rush on that it's great to have a point that you want to get to but you don't need to push it yeah no you don't I mean I think I'm just at that point now and Mm. I'm eight months on from my last miscarriage Mm. and now I can be like right god where's the redemption I've stopped being like this is so unfair (laughs) (laughs) this is the worst thing ever I know from being in that position myself and from a few different conversations recently um about kind of the ache to parent and in particular to spiritually parent when you feel like um, that's a desire that God has put in you and you have so much to give but for whatever reason whether that's infertility or miscarriage or other um, life circumstances at the moment you don't have living children on this earth who you're able to spiritually input into um, I'd love to know as someone who does now have living children here and um, what we can do to help those of you who want to spiritually input, who want to contribute to our children's lives, to give you opportunities and make it easy for you to do that and to have that opportunity. Yeah, so um, I am a parent and my hu- I'm a mother and my husband is a father, like yeah. is on our lives. Whether we have children or don't have children, that is something that God has put in our lives and something that we um do actually we do it now really (laughs) (laughs) we don't have um our own children um but we we are still mothers and fathers and i think that is a really important distinction for us to admit we had children they didn't survive till birth but we had children Mm, and also we have wonderful spiritual children um, so we are part of a leadership team, um, as we've probably already said, part of a leadership team for church in Cheltenham. And part of our ministry there is to children's and families. Um, and I see 
those children as my spiritual children. I also see the children, like your kids, Anna, like mm. your kids are part of, are some of my spiritual kids. I love investing into them. And I think if you've got friends who are going through miscarriage or struggling with fertility or um, experience stillbirth, there'll be days where they just can't see kids. Yeah. There'll be days where it's just too painful. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think you need friends who give you the flexibility to be able to bail out and be honest and say, I just can't do this today. Mm. But not see but not see that as a closed door forever. Yeah. Still give them opportunities to come round, to hang out, to have dinner, to um pray with your kids, to do bedtime. Um and also I think for those of us who aren't parents we still need the prayer of how we can be parenting the children that are around us and helping disciple them. So with um, the kids that we have in our life, we try and write them, like, even just, like, prophetic notes and birthday cards. Yeah. <laughs> like, just as a way of them seeing from someone else um, what faith looks like for them. And yeah. just having other voices in their life. I really hope that when your kids are older, they can come to me with stuff that they refuse to go to you about, you know? Absolutely. That's <laughs> you know, what you're there for. It's that yeah. kind of... Um, yeah, balance, isn't it? Yeah, and um, we're almost out of time, but I'd just love to end with a bit of a a bit of a brag on your uh, your <laughs> spiritual parenting. Um, Jennifer and her husband Simon do it so well, and so I just thought I'd share a couple of things that you do great. So you mentioned there in their birthday cards, you write, uh, "We asked God um, what He was saying, and this is what we felt like we caught from Him," and that's great. They love reading that out. That's really significant. You guys send stuff in the post. You've even been sending uh, things linked to your church and videos. <laughs> <laughs> lockdown which has been a gr- amazing in a way that mm. they can interact and um, we have a whatsapp group where we just share any kind of prayer concerns or requests uh, that you can input into and again they give words and kind of pray and it's just so nice as a parent hello we've got a little one joining us and um, it's so nice as a parent say hey we're struggling with and it might be potty training or night terrors or it could be really practical things and just know that there are mm. people praying for you and supporting you and who've got your back so thank you and mm. thank you across the country and across the world to all the people who stand alongside parents and spiritually support and care for them i think we're done are we and a question to start an interesting conversation with your kid this week i would love you to ask your kid if jesus came to your school which would be his favorite and least favorite parts of the day have a great conversation. We put these um, questions up every Saturday on our social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, so if you've got some responses and your kid's okay with you sharing them, we'd love to know what they thought. Do comment below. Uh, that's all for now. We will be here producing another episode next week. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you.